I am thrilled to announce that An Actor Despairs is partnering with a wonderful CBD company called Kind Farms. Everyone out there has heard of CBD. I started taking it a few years ago when I first started getting sober and to help with my anxiety. Sadly, as one can do, I was overtraining in the gym and a friend recommended a topical and a tincture to help with the pain. I tried it. It was okay. However, recently, I was introduced to a product that has really changed my life. Not only has it helped me with anxiety, but I am stronger than I have ever been. I'm able to carry out lifts my body used to prevent me from doing. Kind Farm products have single-handedly changed my life athletically and personally. They utilize 100% local licensed farmers, organic cultivation, and CO2 extraction for superior CBD. Kind Farms is turning CBD to a kind alternative to pharmaceuticals. Let's transform tobacco row into hemp row. If you want to get involved, please reach out. Together, we can make a difference. You can use my code RYAN10 for 10% off. You can find them on Instagram at KindFarmsInc, all one word. That's K-I-N-D-P-H-A-R-M-S-I-N-C. And their website is KindFarmsInc.com. Once again, my code for 10% off is RYAN10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Today's guest is Kareem Saleh. He's an awesome actor, and he's got a new film called Luxor out. He had a really nomadic lifestyle, and how he got into this thing is very dynamic and interesting. I'm so excited to have him on. Kareem, I love you, brother. Here it is. Kareem Saleh, welcome to An Actor Despairs. How are you doing, man? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Hey, man. Uh, it means a lot for you being here, man. I've been a big fan of yours, and You've been really, you've been earning those credits, brother. I've been watching you grow, and you've been working for a really long time. And it's in this business. I, I, I know I'm an actor, so you know I know the journey, man. And I see it's finally paying off, and you're doing some awesome work. And there's going to be so many, ma- just so much more amazing things in store for you. I'm really excited. At this man. point, I'm almost a sediment. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a. <laughs> Slow build up, you know, a volcanic little island. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, on a volcanic island, it can explode at any time, so you never know, man. It can also never make a difference. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to make a difference. Yeah, I, I feel a Pompeii in your future, brother. But <laughs> dude, let's, let's, let's start from the beginning. Where'd um, you grow up? I grew up in um, Beirut, Lebanon. In oh, the, nice. Yeah. I, I just was, had a guess. You know Peter McDesey? Uh, No. Oh. I should, but I don't. Yeah. He's Alan Ball's husband. He's an actor. Um, St. Beirut, but sorry. Beirut. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, it's uh, the diaspora, the Lebanese diaspora is almost double the amount of the population in Lebanon. So you'll have 9 million Lebanese scattered all around the world. Wow. With different nationalities and four on the inside. Um, so it's almost kind of a little, a tri- you know, it's, it, it's very much a diaspora culture in that yeah. sense. And, and, and this is why it's so open to different uh, uh, cultures and it's so um, absorbing of other cultures. And usually when you grew up in Beirut, you grew up speaking a few languages. So it wasn't that, it, it, it wasn't that special for me to, to sort of, I was born in France. I was also born a French citizen. 
but in my journey, when I, when I left Lebanon to move to England and then England to move to Paris and then Paris to move to the States and then became an American citizen, all these things seem extremely adventurous, um, but they're almost a, a very sort of typical side of the Lebanese identity, which is an identity of travelers, yeah. an identity of people who really assimilate and, and travel pretty well. So in, in, in that respect, I've, I've respected the ancestral tradition of uh, um, taking on other cultures and nationalities in, in, in that way. Wow. Did you grow up there during the war? Or? I grew up there during the war, uh, so I'm, I'm 42, so we mo I was moved there when I was two years old. The war started in 75, so I was yeah. there in 1980. The war was kind of in full swing, um, and the war ended when I was about 15 or 16 years old. I mean, wow. the actual sort of bombings and, and, yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, when I was a teenager, it, the war had stopped, but we were under Syrian occupation, which was a different kind of stress. Yeah, it was like Syrian checkpoints and Syrian intelligence services, and you know this. The it was more of a political um, threat and a, and a and a police state kind of threat than it was an actual threat of something blowing up. You know, got it. But that was the atmosphere in which I grew up. Yes, it was an atmosphere of conflict. You know, religious divides uh, and you know shellings, bombings, <laughs> cars blowing up, that kind of stuff, bunkers, that kind and of stuff. How did you, you know? make sense or you know calm yourself during all that kind of volatility i mean I, look i've i've been in analysis now for almost like 17 years yeah uh, and i think a lot of why i wanted to be an actor was because i was seeking some sort of um, uh, co connection to my yeah. psyche and, and sort of therapeutic outlet so so i, ca I can't say that anyone who's gone through something like this has a perfect way of surviving it or integrating it but what, you know, one of my really primitive, I mean, that's, that's an intimate thing to share, but I'm happy to share it with you. Um, one of my primitive instincts as a child was to consider that if I thought of myself as already dead, I wouldn't have to fear losing anything. Interesting. And, 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 and from that kind of play with the idea of being absent, of not being there. Yeah. Uh, came also a, de a desire to exist, but also came this kind of idea that since I can be nothing, I can be anything, and that my identity can be fluid. Yeah. And that was kind of encouraged by that Lebanese fluidity in terms of an identity and languages. And that brought me to almost like the most obvious profession for somebody like me. It's like, it's almost answering the question of what do you do when you don't feel when you don't have a sense of yourself and that you want to, that you want to fill up with the multitude, well, you become an actor. You know, it was, it was almost a, it was almost an organic uh, progression of what the, the question around my identity was when I, when I grew up. Was there a particular moment, a, a piece of art or a movie or um, anything that like activated it in that yeah, moment? I was watching, I think I was about, five or six or something like that. And we were watching that. Um, I think it was once upon a time in America. Uh, my, my dad would play these things on, on, we had a VHS player. You yeah. Know? And my, my father thought that uh, considering the violence that we were uh, exposed to on the outside, that there was no reason to follow any kind of ratings or any kind of sort of, uh, you know, he didn't feel like censoring, uh, censoring film for us or, yeah or filtering it or making it age appropriate because he felt like we needed a crash course in 
and dealing with the reality we were in. So we were watching pretty violent stuff when I was, you know, when I was pretty young. And I didn't know I wanted to be an actor, but there was something about De Niro's face. And, and, and it's, you know, Italians are Mediterraneans, you know, we're not, you know, that different in the way that we look and the yeah. way that, that we operate. But I saw De Niro's face and I, and I remember pointing at the screen going, you know, not understanding what I was doing, but, but thinking this is me, you know, like, uh, this, this, you know, almost like, uh, you know, Tarzan Jane, this me. Yeah. But I didn't know what I was, I don't, I didn't understand what I was uh, identifying with. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until later that I realized that there was, you know, that acting was a, was a profession, but not just a profession, but a set of skills that could be acquired and, and that there was a trajectory and that it was possible to learn it, uh, uh, you know, and even to consider it as a, as a viable career. But that took a very long time to sink in. In the beginning, I just felt a kinship with, yeah. Italian American actors that I could identify with on screen. Wow. And was there a moment where you told your parents, you know, about how you were feeling? And when, when I was about 17 years old, uh, I was in the scientific section. So I, I was graduating, you know, in, in, in math and sciences and stuff like that. We didn't have a theater program in my section at the school, but a girl uh, I knew and, and, and we, we liked each other, you know, that, you know, we kind of liked each other, uh, and so she she had access to a kind of theater club or she had a theater class in in her curriculum and she wanted to do this kind of physical theater kind of presentation and she wanted somebody to play a a minotaur uh you know that kind of mis a greek bull that you know yeah. uh, and she wanted to play i think it was ariane and the and the minotaur or something like that and she wanted a very sexual very violent very animalistic kind of physical theater theater thing on stage and she thought that I could do it, right? Uh, she thought that I could do it because when I was a kid, I used to imitate Michael Jackson. So, oh, she, nice. Yeah. So she had seen some of my movement work, so to yeah. speak. <laughs> and, and so she said, you know, do you want to do this kind of piece with me? And we did it, which basically consisted in us sort of tumbling sexually and lasciviously on, on a stage in front of a bunch of teenagers and my mother. Uh, but despite the embarrassment of that, I came out of that experience thinking, this is what I've been feeling that this is what I've been holding inside myself all along, but not being able to formulate out loud. I yeah. need to be on stage. And that yeah. was my first thought, you know? Wow. That's so beautiful. And when you moved to England and, and Paris, were you seeing like things, you know, plays or any kind of pieces of art there? Well, I moved specifically to England to, to go to a, dra a drama school. Oh, uh, which one? Uh, I went to one called Academy of Live and Recorded Arts, but okay. I kicked out of that. You know, I never graduated. Okay. Uh, but I wanted to go to New York. I wanted to do what you did. I wanted to go to NYU. Yeah. And I wanted, what I wanted to learn was, I wanted to learn acting in, in, in the very um, American way of method acting. I wanted to do sense memory. I wanted yeah. brutalism. I was into the idea of Steppenwolf. When I was a child, I loved John Malkovich. And yeah, the best. And, and, and I, and I kind of, I don't know how I gathered, but I knew that he was in this theater company in Chicago that, and they were working with, with violence and brutality and, and rawness. And I had this idea of, 
of a the- of an American theater that was raw, that was uh, animalistic, that was in-, in touch with the raw emotions. Yeah. So I wanted to go to New York. Oh, you know, and and I don't know how much how right I was about any of this, but that was my fantasy of what America could give no, me. No, uh, yeah, I totally Thank get you. that. And but my parents were scared to send me off to New York on my own, so they said, you know, a good compromise would be for you to go to London. And so I went and I. And I got into this Academy of Live, uh, you know, Live and Recorded Art School, and and the program was a three-year program, and I got kicked out almost four months before the end. Wow! I mean, can you talk about why? Or well, I think it got to a point where it got to a point where I felt that I wasn't really learning what I needed to learn. I, yeah, it, yeah. It felt to me back then and and i don't know whether it's fair on the school or not so that's not you know let's not make this about that yeah school. yeah totally yeah. totally yeah but a com- completely in my own kind of re- i saw you remember this mo- this spike lee film with john leguizamo called summer of sam yeah of course and there was a moment where some you know uh, uh, in the movie uh, 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 john is is married to mira sorvino i think uh, was the actor who played his wife I'm, I'm not sure but they went to this kind of sex party and and they came back and there's this moment where they're sitting in the car and they're not speaking. And John Leguizamo's face tells the entire story of the jealousy, of, of the, the marriage collapsing, of, of the guilt that he, that, that he felt even experiencing arousal at the sight of his wife cheating on him. Something about this particular moment and John Leguizamo's ability and the reality of it and the fact that it happened in silence yeah. made me feel that all this kind of movement and voice work and RP and stage left and stage right work wasn't really what I was looking to, to, to y- It was kind of over. bullshit. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, it's not true because later I drew so much from that education. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, I no, me- I understand. But at the time, I dropped out of NYU, so I get it. Right. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But at the time, I wanted to be closer to a New York raw. I was excited to get there and and be an immigrant and be in those films and and, yeah. and work with. You know, I was kind of really in, excited about the idea of being a minority in America. As yeah, it sounds. You know what I mean? As crazy as that may sound. So as school as soon as that school didn't work out, was that the first thing you did? Buy a ticket to America? No. Um, what happened <laughs> is that my mom was married to this wonderful German guy, and that guy had um, had been to school in his childhood in a very fancy school in Egypt, and one of his classmates, who was his best friend. Uh, was a great Egyptian director called Yusri Nasrallah. And Yusri Nasrallah was an up-and-coming, young, edgy director who had worked with an old, sort of great institutional Egyptian director called um, uh, Yusuf Shaheen. Yeah. And so Yusuf Shaheen was so you know, renowned that he knew James Ivory and Ismail Merchant, you know, the Merchant Ivory Company, uh, when I got kicked out, my mother asked her husband, said, you know, this idiot got kicked out. You know, what do we get? You know, what am I going to do with him? You know? Yeah. And then he said, why doesn't he call my friend Yusri? You know, Yusri might have an idea. So I call Yusri and Yusri says, well, my friend Andy Litvak's first film is about to, to, to go in, in, uh, in a production. 
and it's produced by Merchant and Ivory. Why don't you go and see if there's a, there's a part for you in, in, in this? Wow. And so I, I go to Paris. It was a train ride, you know, from London. It was almost like two and a half hours. I, yeah, because I they have, you, they had, I've taken that train. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like blackout for half the journey. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, uh, yeah. I walk into this guy's apartment, you know, it, it, I recognize like a faint smell of weed. You know, I knew that he had been smoking before I got there. I thought, oh, cool. You know, I can, I can relax. This guy seems, this guy seems cool. And we have a chat and a year later, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm 22 years old and I'm working with Jane Burke and Diane Weist, Vanessa Redgrave. Wow. Uh, Jerry Hall and, and kind of like an all-star cast on a movie called Merci Dr. Ray that was produced by a merchant in ivory. Um, I don't know how many people have seen that film, you know. <laughs> no, no, more, no for more, everyone that's seen it, like this yeah. video right now and comment. No more than five thousand people. There is no yeah. way more than yeah. five thousand people have seen that film. But that got me my first agent. It got me my and, first. And if you don't mind explaining for the viewers, what what, what you like? Where did the, was the agent? Was it in? Egypt no, was it? I, no, when I can't, no, I mean, so none of that happened in Egypt. The only thing. Oh, was, okay. Yeah, the only thing that was Egyptian was the connection to the Egyptian director who Got knew the Litvak. And the Litvak was in Paris. Got it. And so this movie was shot in Paris with a, uh, with a French and British cast and wow. Diane Weist, who's, a, you know, who's American. Um, and I got an agent in Paris and I got an agent in London simultaneously at the end of that. Oh, huge. Yeah, yeah. And so then, I almost thought this is it. You know? Yeah, yeah. So wait. So what? Oh, what happened then? Why? Why would talk to me? Where did you have to reposition yourself? Is moving to London or living in Paris or what did you? No, I I kept working between the two cities because the commute was really simple. Uh, And my London agent was an amazing, amazing agent, Sandy Reese. Uh, she'd worked with Helen Mirren for a very long time. She knew exactly what she was doing. Uh, and she got me my first lead in a movie, uh, which, I mean, when I was on set of my first film, Mercy Doctor, that's what 9-11 happened. Wow. Um, I mean, I remember it because we were on set. Right? Yeah. Uh, and so soon after that, almost three years after that, Mentor in Television and Channel 4, in collaboration with HBO, decided to do a docudrama uh, following the, the guys who perpetuated those atrocities. Yeah. And so, and, but the director was this amazing British director called Antonia Bird. Yeah. And Antonia Bird, a little anecdote, you're, Linus Roach, who you've interviewed. Yeah. He was in a movie called Priest. Yeah, I love Priest. Priest is directed by Antonia Bird. Oh. And so my first lead was in an Antonia Bird movie, almost like Linus, who yeah. I later worked with in The Ten Commandments. No way. Yeah. And, and so Antonia gave me my first lead. It was sadly a, a, a terrorist, but it was a really interesting, gritty film that went everywhere. Edinburgh Film Festival, Venice, Venice Film Festival. It was on HBO for a couple of years. We got amazing reviews. Wait, what was the name of it? So I it can was look called up. The Hamburg Cell. Okay, amazing. I mean, we had such good reviews. I had great reviews. It was just a fantastic it was a risk. It was an awful risk, but Antonia was so good that we actually did something that was actually thought provoking. Yeah. Um, went to festivals, um, did all the circuits and everything. 
But at the tail end of that, we weren't yet in the era of um, international actors and, and inclusion and all that stuff. Yeah. So it didn't quite, you know, it throw explode me into, in the way you wanted. Yeah, it, to. it didn't yeah, quite yeah. explode in, in the in the way that it could have with somebody, you know, with someone yeah. else today in the same circumstances. But yeah. what it did is, it I was able to be in a Spielberg film. I was able to be in a Ridley Scott film. Uh, you know, and those were smaller parts, but they were great experiences. You know, yeah. it got enough attention that I was sort of working in that circuit for a while. And building your way up, like, credential-wise on yeah, each product. Yeah, and experience and, you know, and all that jazz. And I was still working in Arabic. I was still working in French. I was still working in Paris. I was working in so London. How, wait, how many languages do you speak? Three. Lebanese, French, and English? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, Arabic would be the sorry, right? Yeah, but, but yeah. Lebanese is is like a is like a, a spoken uh, Arabic based dialect. Got it. So Got I've, it. I've learned Arabic at school, and it's kind of literary, you know, literary form. Got and it. Arabic is what you speak in the street when you're uh, Leb Lebanese. Is what you speak in the street when you're when you're Lebanese. So ah, really, okay, it Got all it. makes Got sense. It. I just don't say I speak four languages and say Arabic and Lebanese because. It's too as yeah. valid as it may be. Maybe I'm saying I speak British English and I speak American English. You know? <laughs> there, there's there's more nuance than that. Okay, okay. You know what I mean? It's like, but but still, it's a little bit of a stretch. It's okay, like yeah. me a little bit. <laughs> hey, I, you never know on these resumes. You know, man, it might help. <laughs> That's amazing. And so then, at what point did you move to the states? Well, in, in um, around 2008, um, I felt that my London agent was, was retiring. Um, and I felt like I was becoming a, almost like a Parisian party boy. And that I was, that the kind of thrust that I had in the beginning was dying out. And there was a transition happening. It, it, it wasn't yet the moment where, you know, uh, uh, people were really looking for diversity, but it was the end of that first batch of it's convenient because we really want to talk about the Middle East right now because of the wars and because of the, uh, uh, uh the geopolitical stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So there was a little bit of a gap in between. And I felt that I had been coasting a little and that it was finally time for me to do what I've always wanted to do, which is come to America and, and learn acting in, 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 you know, in the tradition of, of, in, you know, in the American way. Yeah. And so I, I moved here in 2009. Wow. Actually I was, I was shooting a movie in New York with the same director that I, um, that directed Luxor, um, uh, which is, um, which was shot in New York. I was playing like a, uh, an Arab American who drove a Lamborghini around Queens and, you know, and drove wow. his, you know, parked his Lamborghini in front of a falafel store, like really kind of cool stuff. And in a sense, because it depicted a, a part of like Arab Americans that I didn't know about, you yeah. know, a, yeah. a part of the uh, Arab American experience that I didn't understand. Um, and so when, when we wrapped on that, I was in New York, I had a manager here in LA and I flew to LA and he said, look, if we're going to work together, you've got an O-1 visa. Why don't you just stay, you know? And then I stayed. I just, you know, I stayed. I moved here in 2009 and stayed. Wow. And then I got, and I got to study. You know, that's when, I, that's when I started looking for teachers and I started studying, which is, I think, what I really, really needed. 
can you shout out any of the teachers that were big? Yeah, we're, and and this is um, and 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 this is uh, you know Aaron, who you've interviewed. Yeah, mentions Michael Wilson. Yeah, and Michael Wilson is also uh, uh, one of my teachers. Oh, amazing! Okay, yeah, so, yeah, so th- these are the little ways in which uh, in in which uh, you know uh, these uh, uh, episodes have been recouping. When I've yeah, been- yeah, yeah, totally. It's all tying it together. I love it. Yeah, so I had I had four significant teachers. I had a I had a teacher in France called Sébastien Pascou. Mm-hmm. Um, I have there was Michael Wilson here in LA uh, who really really helped. I mean everything yeah. that Aaron said about Michael, I I, I completely second. Um, and there was Fabiana Medici, who's also in Los Angeles. Um, and there was also a teacher, and he's transient. His name was uh, is Jack Walter. Um, and I worked with Jack a little bit, and that really sort of changed the way wow. I tackle work a lot. Amazing. And did you assimilate to? LA or did you come to New York or where did you end up? No, it all happened here. But both Jack and uh and Fabiana were method. Wow. So I got my fill of that. And then after I, I, I got like a real shot of like like you know, like I I finally got my fix with the method. Yeah. I went to see Michael because Michael's way is so much more simple and so much more direct and so much more decanted and purified. Yeah. And so I think Michael was really like the polishing uh, uh, touches, you know, and got me out of my method obsession and, and, and gave me ways to work without hurting myself as well. I think yeah. Instrumental. In, in yeah. Because method, can, I, as someone who went to Strasbourg, it can really fuck you up. Yeah. Michael, yeah. Yeah. Michael took that and said, that's wonderful. Uh, now you can go further if you don't torture yourself as much and I can show you how. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so rad, man. And and at this point did you feel like you were on the radar of the casting directors in America that you wanted to be or it, it, it was a kind of a slow burn because I was still doing really interesting stuff not in America. Um but what I had finally understood was that in America I had to start over. And the kind of whatever kind of spillover European ego I you know I, I hadn't dumped over flying here over the Atlantic um, that I you know that was still carrying a little bit of that pride. I then later understood no 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 enough of that. You're here now. It's a fresh start. Start over. And and also it was at a time where t- where television and streaming began to make sense to me and like i wasn't hip to any of it i i was so stuck in an idea of old european cinema and art house cinema i was almost sort of shooting myself in the foot not understanding uh where things were heading yeah and then i started you know i went back to the grind i went back to like square ones like okay it's going to be a small thing it's going to be for television you don't know the show it's maybe a pilot and i started and and you know in with my coach and and my my then wonderful manager Scott Zimmerman, they kind I of, know I Scott Zimmerman I know that name. Yeah, I think yeah. often when I mention Scott's name, the reaction is I know that name. He's yeah, been, you know he's an amazing guy. He's been there forever. We we don't work together anymore, but I I consider him like family. You know, yeah, but, of course. But both Scott and Michael, they taught me the discipline of square one. Go to your auditions, start over, 
put in the work, see where it takes you. Drop and the ego. Drop the ego, but yeah, also drop yeah. like all these ideas about cinema, these ideas yeah. about art house, these ideas about you know, let go of any preconceived ideas and of how your journey might yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, allow yeah. it to be. I talk, yeah, I, I deal with the same work. thing. Yeah. yeah. Focus yeah. on the work. Yeah. Solely on the work. Then make the work relative to what is to what is available because you yeah. can focus on the work on your own and, and you know you can you can do Albi in your you know with with friends at home. That's one thing. Yeah. But when you come out of when you kind of bring like a it's almost like a trinity. Like you have to be grounded in your, you know, I want to be grounded in myself. I also want to be grounded in my work, but I also want my work and myself to be, to translate into reality. Yeah. So I want that. I want my work to read in a way that, that serves other people's story, uh, uh stories and styles of storytelling. Yeah. That took me a very long time to understand because in the beginning I felt I'm just going to do it my way. Yeah. And the problem is culturally, if you're not used to someone's expressions and intonations and the way that they move, you don't know how they're playing it because you don't understand the subtleties of whether they're being ironic, whether they're being snooty, whether they're being, you know, whether they're being kind. I mean, yeah. that's, these facial expressions and those emotions, they're universal on, on one hand, but they're also very, very conditioned by the environment and culture. Yeah. And I refuse to adapt, right? And it took me that long to realize if I'm going to survive, I have to adapt. Yeah. And this is where, this is where really Michael and, and, and Scott really helped me out. That's so beautiful, man. And at this point, were we on the beginning of, of the rise of, of streaming? You know, like 2011 is kind of when it started. Was Yeah. At, at that point, yeah. At 2011, I was kind of coming to grips with that. Do you feel and like, in, I, I mean, I hope you don't mind me asking this, but do you feel like in some ways, you know, Hollywood was limiting you to these stereotypical Arab or racist roles? Like, did no, you feel like? I, I don't feel they were because Hollywood wasn't in conversation with me. You know, whenever I hear Arab actors say, yeah, Hollywood is, is stigmatizing me. I think about it. Are executives actually raiding your apartment in the middle of the night? Yeah. You know, standing all around you and, and, and calling you. I think this is what I think about when I think about Jesse, um, Jesse Jackson and, and, and black is beautiful uh, um, as a slogan. Yeah. I think that in a way, nobody carries those kind of uh, uh, injustices or oppressions for us. We carry them for them. Yeah. And then we create a kind of imaginary them against which we're fighting. That's so and, beautiful. In reality, when you drop that, you know, when, when you kind of drop the expectations and the kind of ego and all that jazz, you drop the sense of I'm a victim as well, in a sense. And Which then, is, uh, it's something I want to talk more about on the show is as actors, we tend to do that to ourselves. Yeah. And what's the point? Because it's such a creative, fluid medium. I mean... You know, there are people who make an, um, who have an amazing career just like wearing like these little white bulbs on, on these black suits and they're animating these extremely fantastic performances. Yeah. Uh, you know, there is so much one can do and can create. And the, the sky's the limit, really. But it's so weird how, I mean, can you imagine... What if what if Al Pacino and De Niro at a time where 
where uh, Italian Americans were were so sort of stigmatized by the idea of of, of being a gangsters and so yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Refused to play. What if yeah. they refused to stereotype this? Refused to. It, this is how you end up canceling yourself. Yeah, that's such a good point. Yeah. Why? Why do that to yourself in reality? And and a lot of you know Arab actors complain about the fact that they're offered terrorists, which actually they were never given the part. You know, they're yeah. they're, they're annoyed that the auditions are for terrorists. But in yeah. reality, if you find a good script that depicts that horrible, horrible reality of what that is, yeah. and you have the courage to to sink your teeth into it, you're going to learn something. You're going to learn something great. Yeah. I mean, it's disgusting. It's, yeah. it's confusing, but it's an amazing acting experience. You you can build, you can sharpen your tools on on an exercise like this one. So I think all these ideas of self identifying as the outsider, self identifying as the victim, and carrying, uh, the, you know, carrying the stigma for the other and the and imagining the oppressor, uh, that's all part of what oppression ends up being. You know yeah. what I mean? The only way to be free is to just be free. Yeah, <laughs> That's totally. what happens. And and you know, again, Michael Wilson played such a huge part in 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 breaking that down in me. Not by intellectually telling me that this is what I was doing, but by identifying in my work how how I was carrying those things. In in at this point, were you starting to get those Netflix? credits that i've seen and and there's other ones or were you always yeah, yeah this is yeah. where progressively uh, progressively i started like chipping away at things going into things you know transparent you know transparent i barely had any lines i mean i didn't have a written character on transparent i was just invited to be around the table because they needed people to play palestinians right yeah gone, okay that's not a part it's not a speaking part what you know what am i gonna i was just like i love the show yeah i want it to be yeah yeah, yeah. And I started improvising, and 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 I was written in it a little bit more, and and that was amazing. On, on counterpart, it was the same. I was invited for one episode. I was killed in the first episode. They liked what I did. They brought me back to do a second episode. I had a scene with J.K. Simmons. And how was working with J.K.? Really fantastic. Yeah. What yeah. A, extremely solid and and uncompromising and. I mean, his strength, you know, the solidity of this actor gives you so much and gives you something to work against, you know? Yeah, totally. And it always becomes like jujitsu where sometimes you have to be more, you know, like slightly more... Ninja-like mad. in how you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but you can t- you can tell that that he's game, you know? Yeah. He's not to show you, but you can tell that he's really, really game. I, I really enjoyed his presence, really. Yeah. I, I, think, I think about it a lot. I mean, it was like, like a few days' work, but... And this is what I understood, that sometimes a few days' work will really teach you something and loosen up about this whole idea of being, you know, uh, an, only in auteur movies, you know. <laughs> well, I'm curious, did credits like Transparent and uh, Counterpart allow you to flex up rep-wise? Um, what, what, it did is, what it did is it gave me like a really good... It gave me credibility, but it, because it meant, and I think that's a fundamental American value, at least as a new American. I was naturalized in 2018. Oh, congratulations. It's amazing. For me, the, the core values are you work hard, you start at the bottom, uh, there's always a way, right? Yeah. So, I, I, you know, paying your dues, the idea yeah. of paying your dues. And I think this idea of paying your dues did afford me a, 
a very credible, you know, a very sort of credible, put me in a position where I was very credibly able to be considered for a movie like Luxor, which is, you know, a movie where I I play opposite Andrea Riseborough, who's a phenomenal yeah. actor, and and it's a supporting role, but it's a it's a strong supporting role that requires a lot of naturalism and a lot and a lot of strength, yeah, a lot of ability, you know, not not so much in emoting or putting on a character, but in really being absolutely present and absolutely available and absolutely uh, um, real in front of the camera. Yeah. And that's something that very often comes with a lot of experience. Yeah. And then from then on, I found um, my manager today, Emma Lewis, with whom I think we're like in this super kind of honeymoon period of being yeah with each other <laughs> synesthesia i love it man that's so rad yeah. talk to talk to me like you know i you got a movie coming out in in a week right yeah, yeah. Luxor comes out on december 4th yeah. and, and are you excited is that is that thrilling see this is this is the beauty of 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 having put in sort of 20 years in, in into the industry it's an excitement but it's not um there's no anxiety yeah. about, I'm I'm not scared. I'm not overly because uh, uh, you've been through all these emotions a thousand yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm weirdly for the first time in my life confident, very optimistic, but also kind of stable. I'm I'm, yeah. I'm the kind of manic depressive kind of yay no woo woo you know ups and downs and all that kind of like uh, you know I love Charles Bukow- you know Charles Bukowski all, all that stuff is behind me now yeah <laughs> right <laughs> yeah <laughs> talk about meta that's amazing <laughs> uh, would would you ever do a a, a play yeah uh, um I have I haven't done it enough uh, yeah. I did in London once at the Dalston theater which uh, which play it was called Le Mariage okay uh, I think the the writer was called Pierre Lescaut. Uh, okay, uh, it was great. Uh, I think about the theater a lot. The only difference between film and, and and theater for me is because I grew up so much dependent on on VHS to escape, you know, the horrible circumstances of my childhood. Yeah, and I didn't grow up in a place where you could go to a theater. When I think of the stage, I don't know what the end result is supposed to to look like. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, I don't know where we're going, you know, like, I, I don't understand the medium as well as I understand uh, uh, a moving image. Okay. Um, that- and, and maybe that shouldn't be a deterrent. Yeah. But fundamentally, my brain thinks film-like. Yeah, I understand. Uh, because that's what I grew up, not, not only immersed in, but sort of, uh, that's what my father allowed to flood the, you know, to flood our childhoods and our, and our minds, you know? And so I really know what I'm doing when I'm in front of a camera. I know where they're going to cut. I know why they're punching in, why they're not punching in. Uh, I have a sense of what we're making globally when I'm working. And it's to the point, it's so, it's almost so obvious that it doesn't even distract me from doing what I'm doing. Uh, Having this kind of understanding of the general orchestration of what's happening on a film set. Uh, in the theater, my feet can't find the left, right, uh, yeah. up, down. Well, uh, I'm going to call Steppenwolf after this and get <laughs> you in in Chicago. Yeah. And this time next year, hopefully we'll be up there together. But I can- would love, for example, if I could do something at Steppenwolf where 
where I just sit with a company and I don't know, audit or, yeah. you know what I mean? Like even, even watch an entire rehearsal process or, I mean, I'm, I'm a sponge in that, in that way. And, and I, I can't stop learning. I, I it just, I have no choice in the matter. Yeah. So any way I could be exposed to other people's processes is something that would always really excite me. Yeah. And enriches you as a human and as an actor. Totally. Final few questions for you, brother, you know, for, for all the struggling actors out there that maybe are young and in a war torn country, or, you know, maybe just are here or in some other country where they don't know how to do this. Any words of wisdom or advice you would have for them? I guess rather than, than preach, I can, I can sum up my experience based on my own mistakes. And, one of my biggest mistakes, as I told you, was having preconceived ideas about what the industry would look like and what quality work would come from. Thinking, because I grew up with, you know, author, uh, independent experimental cinema, that experimental cinema would be where quality would forever, you know, right. house quality forever. But then what I learned is that great uh, uh, creatives, that talent was kind of moving around changing with the times and changing with the medium. So what, what I would say is tackle your, your work and tackle your industry with absolute openness and absolute curiosity. Yeah. Everybody always wants to reference Brando, but what was so exciting about Brando was that he was new. Yeah. So when, when Brando is no longer new, what's new? Yeah. And the question for me is not what's next. Next is, is something that has to do with fashion, but something that's new is not something that is now fashionable or, or a trend. It's something that is really fundamental, that stems fundamentally from an openness and a curiosity and that draws from different mediums, different disciplines. So I would, I would tell any actor, keep studying, but I would tell also any actor, go to the museums, listen to other, you know, listen to other people talk, read poetry, learn a craft, yeah. uh, uh, keep your day job. Uh, it's interesting to be observing people um, because I really think that what creates a Brando is being in touch with uh, 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 the pulse of what's new and something yeah. that needs to be unearthed. Uh, and that comes from any kind of source of inspiration. That is might be the most beautiful answer I've had to that question on this show. You might just take the award for that. That is, I'm gonna, that's gonna be the clip that I'm gonna put up on when this one goes live. You're about to go viral, buddy. <laughs> Final question. Tell me, man, it's been such a fucking dark time just between COVID and the monster and the White House and all the hatred in America and everything. What's, what's been keeping you inspired through these dark times? I mean, it's going to sound very consistent through, you know, my, uh, my love life. I, I'm, I'm in a wonderful relationship at the moment. It's uh, so beautiful. Uh, you know, she's been, she's been amazing. Yeah. Uh, and she's not indulgent. You know, she's been, she's been amazing in the sense that she's also extremely challenging and extremely yeah. present. Yeah. Uh, As any good relationship needs. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and, but also the other thing is I, I'm doing what I, what I've always done, which is I decided to learn something new. So for the past seven months, I've been learning how to play the piano. Amazing. Um, 
I've been reading more than I, you know, more than before. Yeah. Uh, I've been catching up on uh, movies and shows that I, you know, that I neglected to watch because, uh, uh, because I don't have time. Uh, but, you know, I just, I'm just teaching myself the piano and I'm, and I'm doing pretty well. You know, it's not, it's not tedious. I'm not frustrated with myself. I don't have any expectations. This is the most fun I've ever had learning something new because at my age, when you don't think, well, you know, I'm either going to be Keith Jarrett or I'm never going to touch an instrument again. When you take that pressure off, you're just happy to be able to play uh, 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 a few notes. Yeah. And then when you have that gratitude, you can play another few notes and another few notes. And, and, and then before you know it, you're playing a song. And instead of being hard on myself, I'm just enjoying it. Yeah. Great advice. Well, I know we have Luxor coming out soon. What What's the best way for people to stay in touch with you, Kareem? Uh, I have an Instagram account. What uh, can, you, can you say what it is, if you don't mind? Or is yeah, that, it, yeah, it's it's M I R A K L E S H A. So it sounds like Miracle Shah, uh, which is really Kareem Saleh scrambled. Got it. Love and, that. And it's because when I opened it, I I didn't trust myself. I didn't know what my sense of humor on this particular. You wanted to keep it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. (laughs) Um, That's, you know, that's an easy way to, to drop comments, questions, uh, uh, anything like that. I, I interact with it quite frequently. Amazing. Dude, this was one of my favorites and I, it means so much that you were so honest and giving and I'd love to have you back. Oh, I'm listen, I've, I've, uh, you know, I've listened to, uh, you know, uh, I, I, th- I think six or seven of, of the podcasts and the quality of people you've been having and the kind of spontaneity and honesty you were able to get from, you know, people who have way more experience than I have and who've been in the public eye and who otherwise would be guarded. Yeah. I, your ability to get to the core of their experience uh, is really, really wonderful. And I really enjoy the podcast. Well, that means so much to me. That's, some of the kindest words I've ever heard. Kareem, I'm such a big fan of yours. This was a real honor and you're going to take over the world and I'm so excited for everyone to see Luxor and and let's do this again, brother. I hope we have something uh, to talk about again soon. Or let's work on a project together even better. Yeah, and we'll interview (laughs) each other. Kareem, thank you so much, brother. I love you, man. Thank you. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Be safe. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.